Welcome. You are listening to the 919 Podcast, the only podcast telling the stories of the over 1.5 million people living within and transforming the triangle. And I'm your host, John Carter. Okay, so I took a week off last week with Hurricane Florence coming through eastern North Carolina. Kind of a crazy week anyway. Um, Actually, my wife's granddad passed away, which was extremely sad. We spent a lot of time leading up to the storm with family uh, to mourn his passing and to celebrate his life. And then the hurricane came through. I know a lot of you out there ended up fine, but I also have heard um, some stories. I know houses were damaged, some tragic stuff on the news you've probably heard. It's never good when a storm like this comes to the area. And a lot of people are wondering how they can help, which is always good to hear. People in NC and beyond are wanting to help those in need. If you're wanting, but you're not sure how, then I have an option for you. There is an organization, not going to mention it by name, on the pod, Uh, That is matching dollar for dollar any money that comes in uh, during the next week. So if you want to find out more, please email me at the919podcast at gmail.com. I'll point you in the right direction, and we can, of course, help our fellow Carolinians. Okay, so on to talking about the episode. Uh, On this pod, I spoke with Rabbi Eric Solomon. He's over at Beth Meyer Synagogue in North Raleigh. And the topic is the Jewish population in the Triangle and its history. So we talk at length about Eric's faith and finally end with some ways you might not expect that the Triangle and Israel are actually connected. Uh, being a Christian, it was also it was really interesting talking with someone of a different faith to find out more of what they believe and why they believe it. And I hope you do too. Okay, sorry for the long intro. This is what happens when we wait two weeks in between podcasts. Oh, and one more thing. This was recorded with a web conferencing tool, but I think it sounds a bit clearer than the past over the phone. If you're having trouble hearing, let me know, and I'll try something different next time. Okay, again, I'm hanging out with Rabbi Eric Solomon. Let's get started. Okay, I'm on the phone with Rabbi Eric Solomon. He's on the leadership team at Beth Meyer Synagogue here in Raleigh. So, Eric... Uh, Rabbi, uh, thanks for being on the 919 Podcast. John, thank you so much. It really is an honor. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I discovered it a few months ago, and I'm really grateful that you're having me on. Oh, absolutely. And actually, I'm curious, how did you hear about it? So, uh, I think not that different than what you shared with me. I, I love podcasts. I use them a lot. I'm a, I'm a regular runner, and when I run, I listen to podcasts. I was looking things about the triangle. And uh, I have some ideas, actually, of myself, of maybe some podcast ideas. And I looked around, and up came one about some beer <laughs> in the triangle. And I think one came up, it was 919. And I was curious and started just started listening. And now I, it uh, automatically downloads, and I've enjoyed it from our runs. It's been fantastic. Nice. That's so good to hear. I'm always curious because uh, some people <laughs> hear from word of mouth. Uh, some yeah. people just look it up, so that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, uh, but we are talking about uh, the Jewish population, the triangle. So, Eric, maybe before we get started on that main topic, you could introduce yourself, how you got to be in Raleigh, uh, et cetera. So take it away. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sean. So, um, so he, uh, the basic kind of quick summary is that I was born in Maryland, and uh, I'm a proud uh, Terrapin, went to University of Maryland College Park, born in Columbia, Maryland. 
and then went to seminary after college, uh, rabbinical school we call it, a few years in New York City and a few years living in Israel, mainly in Jerusalem. And in the course of that time there, I was very blessed to meet my wife. Uh, she's a few years behind me, but she's also a rabbi too. We're, we're the leadership rabbinic team here at the synagogue today. Um, but after my time in rabbinical school uh, in New York and in in Jerusalem, I, my first position, I was an assistant rabbi. I felt called and excited uh, and was truly blessed to be a rabbi uh, of a congregation. And my first job, which many rabbis do, is they graduate and then go to um, be like an assistant rabbi, low on the totem pole at a large synagogue, and I was very blessed to be uh, serve as one, basically an assistant at a large synagogue in New York City. And I was there for a number of years while my wife finished her seminary training, and we had our very early babies of our first two children we were very blessed to have. And then at a certain point, my wife and I looked at each other, and we said, my wife completed her seminary learning, and uh, she's originally from Dallas, Texas, and I'm from Maryland, although we have a lot of family in New York area, and we've both of us on both sides, and we love New York for many reasons. When we had two little babies, one was a little under two, one was a few months old, we said, okay, enough's enough. We need to look for our own opportunity, both professionally. What's up? I said a better place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we had a good, a really good friends of ours were actually the director and leaders of the Jewish Student Center at UNC. It's called Hillel. Uh, and we, they had been telling us to look down here in the area here. And uh, I admit, I was a, my wife was more gung-ho from the beginning. She thought this was kind of a, you know, maybe perhaps meant to be. And I was excited. I, mean, I heard about the area, you know, CNN and all the kind of classics of all the great ratings and things. But I didn't know about the Jewish population. And, and you know, being a minority group, you know, one of the things that we're always sensitive to is, well, how many Jews are there? Are there, you know, what's it like there? What would it be like to raise children there? What's it like uh, religiously in that area? Would we feel comfortable um, you know, in the South? Uh, I grew up in Maryland, but and technically south, but not nothing like North Carolina. So, um, so we came down for a visit, and and of course an interview. That's part of the process too. Uh, and we were very blessed. The synagogue kind of chose uh, at that time me. I was the main person applying and for the job, and we fell in love with it pretty quickly. We realized really this is outstanding, and there's so many special things. So that happened in 2000. Five. So, if I count correctly, it's we're 13 plus years here in the triangle. Wow. That's awesome. And yeah, thank God. And so we now have three children. Uh, my oldest is 15 and a half. My other one's 13 and a half, and then my uh, littlest one is, is six and a half. And uh, my wife has grown in her work here. Her name is Jenny Solomon, and she's a rabbi as well. And the synagogue, as we have grown, she also works here about you know two thirds time here at the synagogue or so. And we absolutely love it. That's kind of the general picture of how we got awesome. here. That's so interesting because I know New York, and you're talking about New York City, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, New York City has a huge, if I'm not mistaken, a huge Jewish population, Correct. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In right. fact, it was, it was very – one of the attractions we had when we – being a rabbi in New York, it's, you know, everything is – it, to, to be Jewish there is, is it's not just a, it's 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 like part of the mother's milk of the population you know um, this it's it's very it's normative you know things of Jewish holidays the public schools are are off you know it's a very it's a, it's a different type of cultural milieu coming here to the triangle you know we we feel the minority status in a stronger way at the same time you know the the welcome and the love that we've received uh, personally but also the Jewish community from the multiple faith populations here obviously uh, Christian population is the largest but from Muslims, Buddhists, others, has been just outstanding. And we feel so welcome here and, and so supported. And um, 
you know, it's, it's been it's really fantastic. But that was actually one of my concerns early on was, you know, what would it be like? And, you know, we're leaving that population with a huge population. And uh, truly it's been it's been so special, and it adds so many other things to our lives. We, we really love it here. We love it here. That is interesting. You know, go from New York, and that, I think that's definitely just more – it just tends to be more diverse. I mean, New York is center of civilization, some people would say. <laughs> and then um, <clears throat> you come – pretty much to the Bible Belt, or what's classically the Bible Belt. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a really good point. You know, primarily Christian, I'd say, as the other faith, but there's, um, yeah, it's just different. So that, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, I was I was going to ask you, how did you even, you know, want, want to become a rabbi? How do, how do you decide, um, you know, to, to do that? And being a rabbi, to be clear, is being a teacher, Right. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yes, Penny. Don't do your homework. Yes. Um, well, it's it, you know I, this is this is such a blessing to be asked this question, and I, I feel blessed to share it with you. So, I just a little bit of background. I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was born in Maryland. My parents are from New York, but all of my grandparents, may they rest in peace, were all immigrants, uh, Jewish from different parts of Eastern Europe, Russia, Poland, you know, things of this area, and Czechoslovakia. And when they immigrated to this country, my, my grandparents all had accents. Uh, they all did not learn – English was not their native language. They spoke Yiddish as their native language, which was kind of a Jewish local uh, kind of a language amongst the Jewish community. And, um, and they spoke their native languages like Russian and, you know, things like this. So they, they came to this country and they came to New York, and I had a very close relationship with my grandparents. And they had many of the strong traditions and connection to our religion, our faith, uh, the Jewish, Jewish heritage. Um, they instilled that strongly in my own parents on both sides. But my parents moved to Maryland and moved to a new population and raised me and my sister. You know, they, they, they instilled within us. We were very active in our synagogue growing up, everything from youth groups to attending services regularly. Um, my father served as a – he was never uh, ordained, but he, would, he had a very nice voice. So my dad was asked early on when the congregation was just starting to be the – the cantor, which is the one who leads the prayers with a musical voice um, spiritually. So that helped us. We were, my dad was at synagogue all the time, so therefore we were there always in the second row, me and my sister with my mom, you know, always there, uh, both supporting my dad but also part of the community. And it was a tremendously positive part of my upbringing. Um, but when I was about in, in latter high school, getting ready for college, I – and around that time, I also my parents blessed me with things like Jewish summer camps and all kinds of other experiences. We took a very meaningful trip to Israel, and I know, John, I think you're, you've been, so you're familiar, um, that really helped solidify within me and really raised my consciousness about even stronger sense of, of, of the pride I had and love I had of my, my Jewish identity. And it sparked within me certain spiritual questions about God that I had not really, I had thought about before. I had a certain spiritual desire or seeking, but it got even more, maybe you say, illuminated during that time. And I remember coming back from that experience. I was 17. I went to college at the University of Maryland. Very proud of that. And I realized that I was very proud to be Jewish. I, I loved Jewish culture experiences, but I didn't feel like I had done done enough of my own kind of excavation of what Judaism had to offer. I thought I couldn't articulate enough of what Judaism meant to me. And that may be a little bit, um, you know, peculiar amongst my friends. Most of my friends were not particularly religious, or if they were, it was mainly because their <laughs> parents made them or something. You know, I think most American teenagers, it's not the number one on their, thing on their head, or a college freshman for that matter, um, certainly in the place I was growing up. But I was really curious. I had a kind of a God-seeking interest, and I had a kind of Jewish 
Jewish, my own interests. And I wanted to learn in a more sophisticated way. So when I went to college, I, I saw it as an opportunity, obviously, to learn about the world, but also a chance to kind of take classes, which Maryland offered, in everything from Jewish history, Jewish studies, and other aspects of, um, of being Jewish, and, and including other religions, cultures as well in history. And in the course of college, I really found myself becoming more and more attracted. I spent time again. I studied in Israel. I learned Hebrew fluently. And it kind of just – I kept growing in my Jewish interest. And my parents and my rabbi growing up very nicely and appropriately, like they didn't overdo it, you know, kind of we call Jewish guilt. They didn't push it too much. But they kind of let you know, Eric, with your interests and your Hebrew and your studies and your questions and, you know, maybe you should think about being a rabbi. And I thought to myself, to be a rabbi, which literally means teacher, as you said, but it, it, it has a kind of also a, a spiritual leadership dimension as well. I thought, I'm not qualified. You know, I, I want to learn this for my own spiritual interest, my own curiosity, my own desire to understand what God means to me, uh, what God means, what God wants of me. But not necessarily like, necessarily to lead others. Like, I don't know if I have, <laughs> I was young also, and I felt uh, you know, like Moses, uh, who, who didn't feel called and ready. I didn't necessarily feel ready. I was still so young. Um, but as I got to the end of college and began exploring what my next options were in my life, I, the, the truth is I wasn't sure. I had considered going to graduate school. I thought about maybe going to work. wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had done some work in the Jewish community. But, but again, the, I, I decided to take a tour. I said, let me go check out what the seminary looks like in New York. And I sat down in the first class. And it was a class on theology and Jewish takes on God. And I was just my jaw, I just felt this moment of like, I'm not sure yet I w- what it's like to serve. I mean, I, I grown up, I knew my rabbis growing up, so I knew kind of what their life was like. But I, I'm not choosing this for uh, the congregational rabbinate or to, for a certain job. I want to be here because this is what I've been wanting to learn all along. This is a place where you are fostered and encouraged to s- explore your soul. And uh, I'm not exactly the most practical person at that point. <laughs> I was only like 23 or 24. And I said, let me just, let me give it a try. And the last conversation I had with my parents, I said, look, I'm going to apply. And my parents were quietly elated, but they had to keep it, you know, keep it together. They didn't want to push too much. And they said, uh, but yeah, I said, look, I have the right to quit. If I don't like it, then I'm going to stop. And uh, that never happened. I just really, I really loved it. And that journey continued as another piece of which I haven't mentioned is that my family and I were very involved in issues of social justice and social concern. And my parents saw their, my father in particular, both of them are public school teachers, saw that their, their Jewish identity and the teachings of the Torah, the five books of Moses, directly impacted their sense of justice in the world and what's important um, in terms of love your neighbor and things of this nature. So I also loved exploring that as well. And I realized as a rabbi, I could be, help people on their journeys of life, be there for all the, the blessings and the challenges, uh, and also have a social justice impact, and also be involved in prayer, spirituality, song. I say, you know, this, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is like truly a blessing. And, um, and that's how I felt. And so I, I, I really felt, it also probably felt all together for me. You know, even when I was ordained, I was still pretty young, you know, 27, 28 years old. You know, it's, I feel, I didn't know, at least we don't know bupkis. They say in Yiddish, you don't know nothing. If I didn't know anything about anything. And I had the chance to be mentored by wonderful teachers at my congregation in New York. That also helped solidify. I realized, okay, this is what I want to do. This is so precious and such a privilege. And um, I really do feel that to this day. 
most of the time. You know, some days are tough, <laughs> but in general, I really do feel blessed to have this holy work. Well, that's really cool. And then uh, I'm sure being in places like New York, like we said, with the with the history that it has, and then being in Israel training, I'm sure that, you know, solidified um, those interests for you, right? Exactly. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was helpful to have Jewish, large, diverse Jewish communities where I could learn of different, you know, practices and styles, different interests, folk, you know, different types of congregations, different types of Jewish life living. And that helped inspire me too. It definitely influenced me too. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, uh, Rabbi Eric is going to talk about, you know, what he does at the synagogue and then talk about the triangle at large. Okay, so you work at, and you're the rabbi for Beth Myers Synagogue, so it's there kind of in the middle of, just north of downtown, really, Um, and I was a little research looking on the website, and you guys have, um, now you say Torah, I say Torah, and that's probably incorrect. That's fine, that's Uh, right. Torah is just a little more Hebrew accent, Torah is fine, Torah is fine. I want to be be appropriate, Torah, and then, uh, what are the other two phrases, and what do they mean? Exactly. So we, we base our the, – the kind of tagline of our synagogue is based on a, a line from uh, rabbinic literature the, from the, the rabbis taught from thousands of years ago that the world stands on three legs, kind of three parts of a stool, the Torah, the study of, the, of, our, of our holy scriptures, um, avodah, which means prayer, and originally in the time of the Torah, and actually offering sacrifices. And that's, we, of course, we don't do that today, but that's how it was written in the Torah. It's a way of communicating with God. And then gimilut chasadim, which means acts of loving kindness. And that is work done both in our community to love one another here in our synagogue, but of course to love all humanity and to help make a difference in the whole world. And that's what our congregation, I would say, I'd gather to say most synagogues, they stand for those three kind of major principles. That's really cool. And so you you are at Beth Myers Synagogue. Now, is yep. Beth, who's Beth Myers? Yeah, it's a good question. So Beth, my, <laughs> Beth, Beth is a English version of Beit in Hebrew, which means house. And Meyer <laughs> literally means like kind of illumination or light. So kind of the translation is house of light. But Meyer was also the name of a famous rabbi from the Talmud from thousands of years ago. And it was the name of a prominent member of our congregation many, many years ago. In fact, if I can just tell you a little quick history about it, is that we're in North Raleigh right now. So we are, I mean, we call ourselves North Raleigh, but the original congregation is 1875 on East Street. The house does not exist anymore. I think now it's a parking lot. I've been down there. Um, it was in kind of south, just southeast of downtown. We've got Southeast Raleigh. And then, it, then that was the first location of the congregation. The second location was uh, just near Broughton High School on West Johnson Street just after World War II, and in 1985, the leaders of the congregation saw that the community was, was going across Raleigh, really, across Wake County, and that a North Raleigh location would be wiser in terms of the movement of where people were moving to in the Jewish community, and so we've been here since 1985. Um, originally, the Jewish community that arrived here was mainly an immigrant population in 1875, mainly merchants, and had businesses around Faithful Street and all Hargate and around that area, um, dry goods stores and kind of the kind of immigrant Jewish story that, that some are maybe familiar, listeners may be familiar with, maybe kind of like, a, like an old, uh, almost like the, the New York Lower East Side version of uh, here in Raleigh. And then, <laughs> but then eventually after, as NC State grew, and then eventually, of course, RTP, as you've talked about in your podcast, it attracted a number of Jews from other parts of the country, but primarily the Northeast, primarily for job opportunities like IBM and other places. Um, my synagogue itself, uh, 
today has only about 5 to 10% are authentic Southern Jews, people that you know, speak Hebrew or English with a slight Southern accent. And those <laughs> Jews may come from you know, anywhere in the Carolinas, you know, I have, or even uh, you know, like places like uh, Goldsboro, Tarboro, uh, you know, Danville, Virginia, which I know is Virginia actually, but just you know, smaller towns uh, around here, Rocky Mount, um, New Bern, and then, of course, in, in this area as well, in Raleigh, but, but have been here for a long time. But 90% of my synagogue is transplanted. So everybody is really wow. here, and it's really the Northeast and Florida are probably the biggest ones, from anywhere from Boston to D.C., but probably the biggest ones are the New York, New Jersey area, and then Florida. But we also have some that have come from California and Chicago and all other places. Um, so it's really it's a transplant community, I think, in some ways reflective of the, you know, the triangle in general, Riley in general. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. That's yeah, fascinating. It's, it's been very interesting for me. So I'm part of the transplant community, and that just to dovetail into some of the demographics that you were going to ask about is that, so we have the whole triangle, as you know, and there's also surrounding counties. And one of the issues is just to understand my demographics in Jewish community is that we have, the Jewish community is a, is a has, is in general, of course, you know, there are, of course, been moments and periods of time with anti-Semitism. There have been times, sadly, in just recent times, like Charlottesville, where the Jewish community and other minority communities have felt uh, genuinely scared and concerned. But in general, as a general statement, the American you know, religious life or America as a, as a general society has been remarkably welcoming, loving, and supportive and of, its, of the Jewish community. Uh, the, the amazing news about that is, of course, many Jews, therefore, you know, do not, uh, are able to, they, they marry those who are not Jewish, but they also don't necessarily practice Judaism. They, don't, they kind of fall on their own journeys, you know, and find their ways. Uh, you know, for my business, I'm trying to bring them back. But in terms of Jewish community in general, it's a great statement of welcome in, the, in, in America. So when you, one of the questions you'd ask me, what the demographics are of the Jewish community, it gets a little complicated, because who exactly is Jewish, right? Is that someone who's born to a Jewish family? Is it someone who's practicing Judaism? Is it someone that has some Jewish relatives? Is it someone that goes on the Internet and says, you know what, I, I want to start practicing Judaism because I've learned about it, right? What exactly defines a Jew? And there are many different definitions about this. This could be a whole podcast. We could talk about this. I won't even, you know, unless you're interested, John, I'll save you. But we, if when I spoke to my colleagues here, we think you have the widest definition to what a Jew is basically meaning a Jewish adult in a household who self-identifies as a Jew. Like when a person calls them on the phone, and we do these demographic studies, it's something we do here, say, hey, is, is there someone Jewish in your house? And we find that there is in the totality of the triangle probably 25,000 uh, Jewish families. In, or Actually, I'm sorry, better say Jew, Jewish. Yeah, I think that's actually correct. Jewish families here in the triangle. And in Raleigh-Wake County, it's about 16,000 of them, meaning there's one adult in the household. So that is actually a remarkably large population for a town, as you noticed, noted. It's, you know, we're not Atlanta. This is not Miami. You know, um, there are way, way more Jews here, people connected to Judaism, than, than, than really tap in probably to the synagogues and the resources we have now. So we are always trying to reach out and touch more through the synagogues through the Jewish community in general, and at also we have people that seek us out. You know, people move to the area, and they're looking for a community and looking to tap into their Jewish life. So, right, and you said that the, the Jewish community has grown dramatically in the past few years. Can you talk maybe more about that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I wish I could give you more specific numbers. I looked up some of the – there wasn't a, as much demographic information as I'd like to say, 
But, you know, just as an example, you know, my own synagogue when I arrived 13 years ago, 13 and a half years ago, I had 300 families, and now we have about 475 uh, families in our synagogue. And families are defined as, you know, the parents and the children, a household, we usually call it. Mm -hmm. um, so so that, it's, that kind of growth is just in my synagogue. We have, we have you, it depends how you define what synagogue communities we have, but if you just said spiritual communities, in Wake County we have at least five, we actually have six different Jewish spiritual communities in Wake County, three in Raleigh, two in Cary, one also, another one in Raleigh, it's a, more, a newer one. So we are constantly growing, and there are other uh, Jewish communities kind of tapping. There's one just burgeoning in Apex, in fact. So all these have happened in, in really recent years, and definitely in the last, you know, some of them, the growth dramatically in the past 15. But the records show in my synagogue, like in 1875, you know, it was a group of like, you know, 15 people sat around a table and started the synagogue. And even up in the 1940s when they moved to West Johnson Street, you know, I think there might have been 80 to 90 households. So in 1985, when they moved up here to, to my current location, I think there was like 150 or something like this, um, so maybe 200 max. So there's been just maybe a doubling you know, since 1985 at least. Uh, maybe almost tripling. So it has been a dramatic growth, I think, in line with the triangle, the quality of life, and the welcome, you know, that people feel here that um, this area is a very welcome, you know, fertile space for the Jewish community to grow. Right. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, I was going to ask also, you know, there you said, or I read this or something, but there's there's eight synagogues in the area. Is that right? Right, so there's, there's, you could I guess like, we have like six in Raleighway County, and then if you go to Durham Chapel Hill, there's an additional three. So I guess you could say it's nine total, and and one of them is a newer one. So maybe you didn't catch that. That's one like relatively new. Gotcha. Um, so, so those would be um, some of your colleagues, the other rabbis, at other churches, and right. Right, synagogues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, oh, don't I'm worry. Just don't, saying, again, don't worry. Like you said, don't worry. The, You're uh, forgiven. The rabbi forgives you. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have there's like three and there's two in Durham, one in Chapel Hill, in in, in North Raleigh there's three, Cary there's two, and there's one other kind of new spiritual community that that meets at different locations. So interesting. So you know, as a rabbi, uh, what yeah. are you doing to kind of, as you say, spread the word and make sure people who are or maybe identify as Jewish, hey, actually we have a pretty awesome community here. Uh, here's how you get involved. You know, how do you go about that? And the triangle is so spread out and big. Exactly. This is the challenge of, of I, I feel like all my clergy friends here, it's not just a Jewish question, but you're right, you're asking, it's good to ask me this question. Um, and it's, it's really a, it's a double question because it's, it's both a question about how do I go about getting out and meeting people and touching and, and kind of reaching a message of, of welcome and interest. But also it's about kind of generating spiritual curiosity amongst people who are Jewish. And also, you know, we're not a proselytizing religion. In Judaism, we do not believe that someone has to, for example, convert to Judaism to in any way go to the next world or be a righteous person. You do not have to be Jewish to do this. So we don't proselytize in, in kind of a, what you might say a traditional sense of that word. But at the same time, we do feel we have something to offer, and we welcome those that would choose to choose Judaism as their path and choose to convert, we welcome with open, open arms, um, but again, with no pressure and no Jewish guilt, as you say. Um, you know, so we have this, so when I go out into the world trying to give interest and try and, what I find is that both there are Jews who come and show interest, people who have, have Jewish roots or a Jewish past or they were practiced Judaism where they lived before, but there's also people who are not Jewish who have 
significant numbers, some of the most active members of our community, the most remarkable members, including the current president of our synagogue, um, is a Jew, but we call Jew by choice. It's just it's a remarkable statement of the interest. So we I do that. Well, of course, I'm so honored to be on this podcast. Um, I do that by through using social media. We do it by doing some advertising in our local. Uh, we have Jewish news kind of you know interests and Jewish media, you might say. But also, I, I write op eds. I'm involved in the community um, of, of things of interest to me, usually on issues of social justice and social concern. Um, and I, I, I speak in different parts of the of the county and area, everywhere from you know the I've spoken at uh, some of the 55 and over. Uh, clubs you might call their, or uh, what do you call it, communities, um, to speaking at schools, to speaking even in doing teaching classes sometimes in public places like we do something called Torah on Tap, which is at, a, at, at bars, for example, where I'll have people come and we'll teach a little bit of the Torah of the week and spend some social time together. So I'm doing everything I can to kind of get my message out through recording sermons. We have a website. Um, I find it's actually similar to my Christian and, and Muslim colleagues. Like they're they're doing it. They're trying to reach the same thing. It's like how do we get out there? A mix of the cacophony of everything out there. How do we get out there and, and, and get people's uh, get them interested, but also touch the people who might be curious? Um, it's a challenge. It's hard. It's hard to get out there with all all the things that Raleigh has to offer. It's not easy to get them all to come to synagogue. But I'm yeah. working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. That's really cool. Um, well, switching gears a little bit, I think I mentioned this to you before we, we started, but um, I'll be, I haven't been to Israel, um, but I am making a trip out there to, to oh, right. visit some uh, extended family. And how, you know, it's interesting, but h- how can someone as from North Carolina, from the Raleigh, Durham, New Chapel Hill area, yeah. what can I do when I'm going there, um, kind of look at Israel fresh, you know, just a good perspective uh, while I'm there and compare it maybe to Absolutely. the area or something like that? Absolutely. It's a great question. First of all, I'm so psyched for you for going. It, that's going to be great. I, I'm, I'm happy to give you lots of information about that. Um, I've spent a lot of time myself in Israel. As I noted, it's been a big part of my journey, many trips, etc. So here are some connections I've made over the years. First one is a nice little story, is that the most popular or tied for most popular, there are two most popular cafes, coffee places in Israel, um, believe it or not, is not Starbucks, even though Starbucks tried to make it in Israel, they actually lost the competition out to these two other places. One is called Aroma, and you can probably Google this, but the other one is called Cafe Joe. Now, Cafe Joe, in Hebrew, and maybe you'll learn a little bit, John, when you go over, the way the Hebrew does, the letter F, Cafe, and P are actually the same in Hebrew. To make a long story short, it actually, in Hebrew, is called Kappa Joe. <laughs> and why is it Kappa Joe? Because the founders of the, one of the most popular cafes in Israel, one of them is a guy who grew up in Raleigh and went to Chapel Hill. And when his brother-in-law and family was starting a, you know, some years ago, 15 years ago, a cafe place, he, uh, a coffee house, and try to make it, make it work, they turned and said, what do we call it? And he said, you know, the most popular one on Hillsborough Street was Kappa uh, Joe. And that's what they called it. And now in Israel, it is one of the most popular places. So when you go there, 
You're going to find a couple of Joe. They're in every major city, some multiple places, and you're going to enjoy it and take a picture. And I hope out you're going to send it to me and put it on uh, Facebook and stuff and Instagram, and that'll be a nice connection with Raleigh. That's first that's, of all. That's number one. That's fantastic. I'll be, a, I love, I love that story. I'm in Tel Aviv, so I hope there's one there. Oh, yeah, de- oh, definitely in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv okay. even more, even more. Okay, awesome. Second thing I'll say is that, you know, our area is known for its high tech. A lot of my current congregants, I know you have uh, interest in those and your professional interests. In Israel, there's a book that you maybe you might be interested in reading called Startup Nation, which talks a lot about the companies and technology, and particularly an issue of high-tech, biotech, and various things that Israel has helped create that have become part of really, I mean, you could say helped advance the world's technology. But, for example, Waze, you know, the, uh, the mapping program and <laughs> traffic program was founded by an Israeli uh, company, and that's like well known. But there even are others. When you go to Israel, you they, they have a Google there, Apple is there, Intel has had a major factory there for a long time. There are all kinds of different things with the internet. You could go, you know, you, just, you could go a whole trip, and some people do trips just seeing the different types of internet startups and different things that have been started um, in Israel. That's a whole other piece. Another piece that I think connects to the triangle is, of course, the beauty of nature. And one of the things I, know I love about this area and attracts people is that we have both connection to the sea, not far, you know, Wilmington and Wrightsville Beach and things like that, but also the mountains like Boone and Banner Elk and, and Nashville and stuff like that. And that's the same thing in Israel. Some people think, they think of Israel say, oh, it must be the desert. I remember Moses. And it's true. There is a desert. I mean, <laughs> it's there. Um, but it's also the land of milk and honey. I mean, literally, the work that Israel has done, um, for example, there's a, an amazing desalinization project where Israel now has created this mammoth technology, I mean, billion-dollar technology, which takes water from the Mediterranean Sea, salt water, and converts it to drinkable potable water. And so that, through that and other things called drip, tech, drip irrigation technology, which is also something Israelis founded, which is a way of minimizing, like really holding the water, at least amount of water possible to grow, uh, plants and different things and, and crops, Israel has tremendous harvesting and crops, but also has tremendous mountains like the Judean hills. And you can see up in the north where the, the, the Galilee, which is well known amongst my Christian brothers and sisters, there's hiking all over the place. Israelis are known for their outdoor experiences. And then, of course, you have the beach in Tel Aviv. You, know, you have the opportunity to you know, see you know, the amazing Mediterranean. Um, it's, it's basically North Carolina. <laughs> exactly. Basically, you know, just a smaller version. Um, now, the last thing I'll just say, like, you know, not to delve too much into politics, but I, I will say, and I, I, we could spend a whole podcast on that, um, but I would say that, um, you know, North Carolina is a state known for its, its, its uh, military bases, and it's, uh, you know, Fort Bragg or Camp Lejeune, or, of course, we have a lot of military people in the Triangle who work uh, for the military or are enlisted for various reasons. I always feel so touched when I'm at RDU and see someone in uniform, you know, tra- coming off, or people, you see people enlisting for various reasons. It's very touching and, and moving and touches my patriotic heart. But, of course, everyone in Israel, uh, all men and, and women, young people, unless they have specific you know, reasons for exemption, but as a general rule, uh, serve in the military. And, and sadly, the truth is, of course, Israel must have a strong military due to the, the challenges she faces. Um, they're complicated. Um, you know, Israel's not perfect, far from perfect. Israel has her challenges, and there are things I, I pray and, and hope in the year to come that Israel will do uh, governmentally to help promote peace and et cetera. But, again, that's for a whole other podcast. 
But for here, I say that, you know, part of the learning going there is, if you have an opportunity, is to see what it's like to live in a country and to see a country that is dealing on a day-to-day basis with security challenges and how close, you know, the country of Lebanon or Syria, which is dealing with a civil war and one of the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people slaughtered right next to Israel. Um, and then, of course, there's Egypt, which has generally been, thank God, more peaceful, but the Sinai itself, which is closest to Israel, not, has been very chaotic. And then there's Jordan, again, a peaceful relationship, but it's also had its challenges. So you begin to appreciate in, in Israel that, you know, just as the military is an important piece of our here in, in North Carolina, the military is, is part of the whole country in Israel. And I know that there are technologies and things that go back and forth between the U.S. military and the Israeli military. So it might be something you'll see. Also, just as, as, a, as an aside, as an American, I think it's, you know, Israelis are remarkably resilient. They've dealt with a lot of challenges. I myself have lived in Israel during the, some wars or attacks, sadly. Uh, even me and my family were living in Israel uh, just a few years ago during what was called the Gaza War when missiles were being shot over into Tel Aviv, for example. Uh, it was very scary. It was not, not pleasant at all. But uh, Israelis are remarkably resilient, and you get to see kind of up close what it's like to be. So please, I hope when you're there, it'll be very quiet for your sake and please for everyone's sake. But um, but an opportunity to see kind of like um, you know what Israeli technology has been able to do. I mean, one of the amazing things that you know, Israelis are able to, to shoot out these Patriot missiles were in the sky. You can shoot out a missile from the sky. It's like almost like a Star Wars. Um, it's really it's, it's unbelievable. When you realize how small the country is, you can see that it has a real effect. Wow. Well, those are some of the connections, I think. Mike. No, that's so interesting. It'll be cool. Coming from Raleigh in the Triangle, to, uh, I'll definitely have to go to Cafe Joe or Cup of Joe. And that'll, yeah, be, Cup of Joe. <laughs> that'll be interesting. But yeah. uh, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Well, sure. Eric, unless there's, uh, is there anything else that uh, we didn't talk about that you wanted to? I just wanted a couple quick things to say. First of all, I, this is such, so, so great to be honored right now with this chance because the Jewish New Year, what we call the, uh, the High Holy Days, are coming up just this. In a few days, we'll have uh, the New Year of Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. These are the biggest days in the New Year, so I'm grateful for this opportunity uh, to talk about in, in light of the, the New Year for the whole Jewish community. But to say that there are sometimes those people are confused who are not Jewish, you know, could I ever visit a synagogue? You know, if I was interested in exploring Judaism, can I email the rabbi or et cetera? Of course you can. We are, we are open to the public. We, are, we, are, we welcome all. Again, no one is no proselytizing. No one's forced to convert. <laughs> it's just if anyone's ever interested, they should always feel free to reach out to, to me or any of the rabbis here. And, um, and we look for, you know, I'd say that, that the Jewish community here is, is, is part and parcel of the city and you know, if there's ever anything we can do, John, for you or anything I can do for anyone who has interest in Judaism or any op- wants a, someone to speak to a church group or speak to a youth group or has uh, some setting where they want to come to, to other communities to learn, they should always reach out. You know, our community, um, historically, we've had, we've, we've had our major challenges and difficulties. We've, had our, we've been oppressed. You know, we've had terrible destruction and, and suffering, sadly. But uh, this country, thank God, in general, has been a tremendous home and a place of love and support and we the Jewish community want to give that back so anytime I can ever share that with anyone just who's curious we're here awesome Eric okay. thanks so much and thanks awesome. for being on the 911 podcast thank you so much Sean. Bless you.
You just listened to Rabbi Eric Solomon talk about the Jewish population in the Triangle and some interesting connections from the Triangle to Israel. If you like the pod, subscribe and get notified of new episodes the moment they are published. If you enjoy these episodes every week, leave a five-star rating on iTunes. Seriously, it means a lot. You can actually keep up with me and the pod throughout the week on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The919Podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening.